Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of Wake Up With Rooster, where we will discuss under-examined aspects of topics large and small with the hope of figuring out how to best navigate the future. Here we put an emphasis on knowledge, truth, and wisdom. I am your host, Rooster. For today's topic, I will be discussing the BLM movement as well as police and criminal justice reform. Now before I really get started here, first off I really just want to thank everybody for making it this far into the podcast. I know there's an unlimited supply of content out there. You could have been listening to anything, but you chose me. And for that, I really appreciate it and thank you. Secondly, I do want to apologize. Today's episode does not have a co-host, nor does it have a guest. So it's really going to be a little bit more like radio today. But I really hope to correct both of those things in the very near future. So like I said, today I'm going to be discussing the BLM movement, police and criminal justice reform. Now, when I had the idea for this podcast, I wanted to make sure that I was not a current event podcaster. But when it comes to the BLM movement and what we're seeing right now, I don't think that it's a current event. I think that it's a movement and I think it's something that's going to be relevant now as well as in the future. So it's very important to talk about. I do want to give this podcast some context though. Uh, It is the second week of July 2020 and for over a month the country has seen protests and demonstrations against police brutality and overall racism. It is also important to note that despite the strength of these protests, uh, several weeks after they started, the movement is now starting to fade and we're seeing less and less of the demonstrations. That is part of the reason why I feel I need to breathe new life into the movement and make sure that people keep talking about it. So let's uh, first off do a little recap and remember why these protests and these demonstrations are happening. Now, truly these are happening because of a long history of systemic racism, but the protests and demonstrations uh, were really truly set off by really three events. There are three distinct cases that seem to be the catalyst for this movement. And those of course are the case of George Floyd Brianna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. I think there's a reason that these three cases have been so impactful. Part of it is the ongoing pandemic and the lack of distractions. Another part is that these three cases demonstrated three unique failures on law enforcement. The first case we're going to look at real quick is George Floyd. That is a very obvious case. And what makes this case different than some of the cases we've had in the past is that this case was particularly brutal. Now, when it comes to shootings, a police officer can empty his entire clip in a matter of seconds. So that decision can happen in an instant. But in the case of George Floyd, he was restrained and being killed for nearly nine minutes. 
So for nearly nine minutes, law enforcement demonstrated a complete disregard for human life. Many of you have seen the video, but honestly, you don't need to see the video to understand how gruesome it was and how indefensible it was. The other case is Brianna Taylor. Uh, she is the victim of a no-knock warrant. Um, in this case, the suspect in question was already in police custody, yet law enforcement decided that it was the Wild Wild West, broke into her home, someone inside decided to defend himself, so the police returned fire and ended up killing Brianna Taylor. Now, this case is unique because it destroys many of the narratives on the right. Because there was nothing Breonna Taylor could have done to prevent her own death. It wasn't a matter of her breaking the law. It wasn't a matter of her compliance. It was simply a matter of a failure on law enforcement and their practices. Lastly, I want to look at the case of Ahmaud Arbery. Now, this case is a little bit different because Arbery was not killed by police. Law enforcement didn't take his life, yet they were still able to demonstrate complete incompetence. So to recap you a little on the Ahmaud Arbery story, he was jogging in a predominantly white neighborhood. Some white men saw him felt he was suspicious, hunted him down like an animal, confronted him, started an altercation, and eventually shot and killed him. Now, this case isn't going to show up in a stat sheet about police violence, because again, it wasn't police that killed him. But what is so tragic about it is that police didn't care. The police were presented with only a few pieces of evidence. First off, they got whatever these white men said had happened. The other evidence is they have a dead, unarmed black man with no signs of having committed a crime who has been killed by the weapons of these white men who admittedly killed him. Now, I'm not Nancy Drew. This isn't my area of expertise. But even I know that being presented with those facts just doesn't check out. But it did for these police officers. They heard the story that they heard and decided that tracks will let it slide. No arrests made. And it took a video leaking that clearly showed criminal activity by these white men for them to make an arrest and file charges. But up until that point, this black man's life did not matter to them. And that right there is really what's behind the BLM movement. They're simply trying to say that they matter when many people in society, including law enforcement, have decided that they don't. Yet somehow, that statement of Black Lives Matters 
is incredibly controversial. I also want to note that at the time of this recording, the police officers involved in the killing of Breonna Taylor have yet to be arrested or charged. All of these cases clearly highlight a need for change. Not only is it a need for change, it's a need for a lot of change. So what I did here is I compiled a small list, just a short list of things at the top of the priority list, things that we can do right now to help solve the problem. It's not all inclusive, so sorry if I miss something that you feel is important, but I did the best I could. So here, again, just a short list of things to help with police reform and criminal justice reform. Uh, first off, improved police training, improved police education, more effective vetting, revised tactics and procedures, police union reform, demilitarization, qualified immunity reform. We need, we need more diverse departments with help from specialists. We need a repeal of unjust laws and the war on drugs and the industrial prison complex by abolishing private prisons, provide better legal counsel, and we need bail reform and investment in our communities. Again, that's just to name a few. And all of those points could warrant at an entire episode without really even being able to scratch the surface. I don't have the time to go over all of them, so I really just want to look at some underexamined areas of the movement and maybe some ideas of how we can approach the future. So the topic I want to look at today is marketing or messaging or branding or imaging, whatever you want to call it. It's all about perception and how you sell yourself. When we look at political campaigns, we can clearly see how much time and effort they put into the slogans, into the advertisements, and these little pieces of information to help get you on their side. But often we notice there's a lack of substance behind these campaigns, not a lot of details. But when it comes to large-scale movements like we're seeing with BLM, we don't have the same higher professionals that campaign trails have. But we do have a really strong focus on substance. There's a ton of substance behind the movement, but there's definitely a lack of marketing and branding. Now, many of you listening will think, well, substance is the most important part. Isn't that what we should be focusing on? Isn't that what's truly going to determine if policies are impactful or not? And the answer is yes, but also no. Because if nobody buys into your idea, it's worthless. It doesn't matter how great the ideas are or what the substance is. If nobody agrees to it, if nobody likes it, it's dead in the water and eventually serves no purpose. It is a very unfortunate reality of getting things done. And I know it's not fun pandering to people that we believe to be racist or at least racially insensitive, 
but we have to do it. What I want you to do right now is think about owning a restaurant. Now, when you have your restaurant, your goal is to make the best food that you can. That's the substance. That's the heart of your restaurant, the food. That's what you do. You serve food. But you're not going to serve any food if the marketing is bad. If every picture you have on your menu is old and dingy and makes the food look unappetizing, nobody's going to want it. If you name your restaurant Crappers, no one's going to want to walk in. Crappers, we serve dead cow. Yeah, I'm not buying. Crappers, it's a family name. Yeah, I don't care. You serve dead cow? All the restaurants do it. Yeah, call it beef. Call it steak. Don't call it dead cow. Yes, I know it's dead cow. I know that I eat dead cow. But don't call it dead cow. It's not appetizing that way. Unfortunately, that's what I think we are seeing with this movement. We do have a lot of substance. We have a lot of truth in the slogans. But they're not palatable. And as a result, they end up harming the cause and setting us back. One of the most prominent slogans I'm hearing is defund the police. Now, what a lot of people are hearing is liberals believe in lawlessness and chaos. Police officers here, we want to take away your livelihood. Neither one of those things are going to resonate with the public, or at least enough of the public to get things done. But also, we have to keep in mind the power behind this movement and the seriousness behind this movement, which means we need powerful statements with very strong, specific demands. Because we can't be chanting, hey, a little bit of improvement would be nice from our police departments, and we want it in the near future. That doesn't really resonate with the people that are part of this movement who are desperate to get something done. So we do have to find that middle ground, that area where we can let people know that we're serious so people are not discouraged by the movement but we also have to make sure that it's reasonable and that it doesn't scare away the opposition I think it's a common misconception to think about negotiations in a way that makes you want to set your price really high from the get-go in hopes that the other side meets you in the middle but in reality what ends up happening is that if you come up with a price that is too high the other side is gonna believe that you're not negotiating in good faith and they will walk away and you will get nothing and that is something we cannot afford right now does that mean I have the appropriate slogan that should be chanted that'll let people on both sides feel that it's important no I haven't figured that out I just know that what we have going on right now is not gonna be sustainable and it's not gonna bring over the people that we need how we brand ourselves matters how people perceive us matters 
Now I say there's three parts to our existence. We have reality, we have perception, and we have a new reality based on perception. So that means you can have excellent substance, but if it's not perceived as excellent substance, it will result in nothing getting done and more harm being caused. So that's the new reality created by perception. And it's our job to control that perception as much as possible. Now I know we don't want to base all of our messaging off what the opposition will say or how they will twist it. But I can say that I'm against making their jobs that much easier. I don't want to give them more fodder and more ammunition than they need. And this brings me to another point about the state of the BLM movement. That brings me to Confederate monuments. Now we've been seeing a push to remove Confederate monuments and statues. Now, first off, I'm going to say I'm all for removing Confederate statues, especially ones in non-Confederate states built in the 1950s in an attempt to stifle civil rights. Monuments of people that were blatantly racist and fought tooth and nail to preserve slavery. Those are easy calls. Those are easy monuments to take down and remove. But in doing this, we've created the slippery slope. And I normally hate the slippery slope argument, but in a very short period of time, I'm seeing it happen with monuments. We're seeing people move from the blatant racists to the more gray areas. And we start hearing calls for the removal of other presidents, Thomas Jefferson, even George Washington. The reason being is that a lot of these figures were problematic and controversial and held beliefs that don't withstand the test of time. Now, while I certainly believe that many of these figures are fair game for criticism, it's not necessarily a great thing for us to adopt a mentality of erasing people for having different ideas and different viewpoints than our own. And I know some of these viewpoints seem extreme and very obviously wrong, but we have to take a little bit different approach when we look at history. As a historian, we know that we cannot judge the past or other cultures on our own values. In general, we should understand that we can't judge other cultures and other types of people for their rituals and their beliefs. The left preaches this the most. But if we're going to take a little trip through history and really the institutionalization of racism, we can see what played a large role in establishing slavery and other forms of institutionalized racism. Skin color and race were simply used because they're easily identifiable traits. But for those who were greedy and wanted that cheap labor, 
they had to think of lies. They had to think of a rhetoric that would make it okay and justifiable to use other people as chattel slavery. So coming from Western civilizations, many of these people felt superior, not based off their color. They were told they were superior based off the way that they lived, based off their principles and values, based off how progressive and advanced they were and how backward these other cultures and civilizations were. Western civilization propped itself up above all others and they were able to point to pieces of other cultures that looked bad at least through the white lens in western civilization and this just isn't slavery this was genocide on the american continent the government and leaders were able to point at the indigenous people and say they were behind the times that they had practices that didn't align with our own values and beliefs. And that was enough reason to justify their extermination. It wasn't just the specifics. It was the mentality. It was the philosophy behind it. That people felt they were superior to others based off how they lived and what they believed. And they believed that others who did not share those beliefs were lesser than now maybe i'm wrong but i don't believe adopting that mentality and adopting that philosophy is the best way to combat that mentality and philosophy i don't think propping ourselves up over people that lived 250 years ago is fair we have all the advantages of hindsight and of course, we've made huge steps since then. But that doesn't necessarily make us better than anybody. Yet, we've decided to impose our values, a lot of them very new, a lot of them developing as we speak, and we try to apply them to people of the past. And honestly, that just doesn't work. And it's really unfair. Because if we start looking at historical figures and deciding to erase them based off their flaws, we are going to find ourselves deep down the rabbit hole. Like I said, there are some easy statues and monuments to point at and say those are problematic and they need to go. But then we start going down the line and we're able to point out flaws in every figure that we've ever memorialized. Now in California, where most of my listeners are and where I am, we don't have an issue with Confederate statues. But we do have other problematic monuments, especially those related to the California missions. We have a lot of religious figures that have been memorialized. And the criticism for these statues and these monuments are valid. They really are. But they are a distraction. They are keeping us from achieving meaningful change. Not only do we become the people that don't believe in second chances, 
that believe we're superior to others. We're also the the side that doesn't get anything done. I want to take a quick look at a respected uh, congresswoman, Tammy Duckworth. She's a bona fide hero who absolutely loves this country, and any notion to the contrary is sheer stupidity. But even she brought up the need for a national dialogue when it comes to monuments, including those of Washington. Now, I don't want to dismiss the validity of a national dialogue, but once we start talking about that, you know what she's not talking about? Ending the war on drugs. You know what else she's not talking about? Providing proper legal counsel for those that are arrested. She's not talking about ending private prisons. She's talking about monuments, pieces of rock. And while there's definitely a need to reevaluate their place in our, our public spaces, I don't think that takes precedent over the other issues. So what I'm about to say may not sit well, may seem very critical, but going after monuments to me is weak and it's cowardly because those are easy they're easy because there's no money attached to monuments there's no industry that's profiting hugely off statues the issues that are really plaguing us and that are causing discrimination against black people and people of color are driven by economics we can remove problematic statues all day but when it's all said and done we're all going to have to remember that it wasn't a statue that knelt on George Floyd's neck people will remember that it was a lack of character and poor practices that led to his death and people from the far right will be able to say they conceded that they gave the left what they wanted Here's another unfortunate reality about this movement and every movement. We have a finite amount of political capital, social capital, and human capital. And right now we actually have a ton behind this movement. It really galvanized millions of people. So we have more of that capital than ever before. And we can't afford to waste it. We can't afford to spend it on some rocks. But if we do, that tells the other side what we're really about. And it shows that we're really more about our feelings than about creating meaningful change. I really didn't want to make this podcast about monuments, but I did want to use that example to show the type of mentality and thinking that is behind the movement right now and how we're going to need to change it if we really want to be successful. With all that being said, I really only have a few pieces of advice. And that's to stay consistent. It's a huge part of building credibility and trust. So make sure that our messages are consistent. 
and that we truly have principles and values and not just interests and desires because if we find ourselves always aligned with the same political party if we're always aligned with the same group we will contradict ourselves we will show that we don't really have beliefs we just have interests and that will always hurt our cause I also want to say practice empathy practice patience I don't necessarily think it's fair to criticize people for being the person you were yesterday it's not a great way to bring people over to your side we're all going to have to confront the battle between idealism and pragmatism it's always going to be in our faces and we're always going to have to make those choices from what we really want what we really need to what we can reasonably get and I know that I don't have all the answers in fact nobody has all the answers in fact be weary of anybody who claims to have all the answers because I'm going to tell you as somebody who works in this field who has studied in these fields the more you know the less certain you become so if somebody is truly confident in their position it probably means that they don't know that much I know there's probably a lot of confident people right now yelling at me but I do want to bring this point up when people on the far right spew certain rhetoric hateful rhetoric false information and it leads to other people falling in line or behaving poorly we love to hold that person accountable to blame their words and their rhetoric on actions of other people I know I do it all the time I look at commentators on TV and say well that's very dangerous rhetoric that's harmful people are going to be hurt because of your words and I know that liberals love to hold people to that standard especially those on the right but if we're going to do that we have to hold ourselves accountable as well if we can hold somebody else responsible for their words that end up causing harm we have to do the same because even when we have well-intentioned messages sometimes they're too aggressive sometimes they're unreasonable and there ends up being backlash and an even stronger resistance to the message people can be turned off the movement based off our rhetoric so if that's the case why aren't we holding ourselves accountable for that we can't be hypocrites if we believe in something we need to believe in something we need to be cautious with what we say with how we behave with what we demand it's all gonna play a role in our success so please take that home with you chew on it and I hope that it does you some good now that really concludes episode one as far as the important parts so if you have any comments if you have anything to say to me you can email me at wakeupwithrooster at gmail.com and I'm happy to hear from you whether it's praise or criticism I really want to get better I know that this podcast is gonna improve in quality over time 
and I want you guys to be a part of that. And before I leave you, I want to give you one more thing. The world is very divided. There's very few things to un unite against. So I want to make the sacrifice and let people unite against me by providing you guys with an unpopular opinion. Today's unpopular opinion, lavender. I think lavender is absolutely disgusting in all forms. Oils, sprays, lotions, soaps, the actual stuff. It's disgusting. I hate it. Don't have it in your bathroom. Don't have it in your living room. We don't want to see it. We don't want to smell it. Or at least I don't. And if that makes me a monster, well, so be it. Fight me. All right, guys. You have a great one. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Rooster. And this has been episode one of Wake Up With Rooster. 